When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To those on the outside, peaceful and serene. To those on the inside, filled with terror and evil beyond belief. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! Hi, I'm Rachel. Hi, I'm Austin. I'm Leo. Hello, I'm Lauren. I'm Tim. I'm Trevor. And we're the Boo Crew! Welcome to episode 51. This week we are joined by director and producer Chelsea Stardust. She talks to us about her debut feature-length film, All That We Destroy. If you're listening to this at time of release, available on Hulu now, and her upcoming movie, Satanic Panic, out September 6th in theaters, VOD, and digital HD. Follow her on her inspirational journey in the film industry to become one of the most talked-about new talents in the genre. Learn a killer recipe for goo and the top secret scoop on satanic panic and how it has practical effects not seen before by an american audience follow us as we join the cult of chelsea satan is our only hope we're in league with the beast now and we have to make a really big impression on him. this is chelsea stardust and you are listening to another terrifying transmission of the boo crew the boo crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for horror homework and now we're just going to talk about shit we saw. Yeah. I saw Chopping Mall. They broke into the mall for the wildest all-night party of their lives. They're dead meat. But you're never alone in the Chopping Mall. Whoa! Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, two days ago. And I hadn't seen it in a long time. And that's a crazy freaking movie. How does that hold up? 1986. Jim Wynorski directed it. Yeah, it was an 80s mall movie. Um, <laughs> it's like its own genre. It's like its own genre. <laughs> I'm kind of all about it. They were the slowest robots of all time. <laughs> but they were killers. But it was a lot of fun. I'm kind of been going down this whole 80s thing right now. Dig in there. But I want to say about Chopping Mall. Oh. That was my all-time favorite VHS cover. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, that's yeah. that's where I first heard about that. Was when it I the was grocery bag? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's <laughs> with the head in it. Yeah. Yeah. grocery bag. Yeah. With, with blood coming out of it. You. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Wow. Yeah. And it's like so detailed. It's one of those like like and realistic Drew Struzan type uh, yeah, detailed painting. It's shopping wow. mall where shopping costs you an arm and a leg. <laughs> <laughs> Sold. <laughs> so like when it came out, like my parents weren't letting me watch horror movies yet. I mean, they never really were, but... That was one I was obsessing over. And it wasn't for years. It was years until I finally saw it. It's a different... I think I overhyped it in my head. Because <laughs> it's different. Like, I appreciate it for what it is. I totally appreciate it for what it is. That cover was selling a movie that did not exist inside of the... Uh, <laughs> Typical of the 80s yeah. too, right? right the yeah. 70s. <laughs> but that was that, that, yeah, that VHS horror section. Like, oh, this looks amazing. And the play on words, you know, it hit everything that I love about movies. And then I wonder, like, in 30 years, what if there are no malls? That could happen. It's true. There's barely malls today. I know. Like, you go in there and it's scarce. You're like, where are all the people? Like, that's where the kids, where I hung out was right. in the mall. And, like, my kids are like, what? You hung out in a mall? <laughs> <laughs> we went so to the weird. West Side Pavilion recently and there's, like, four stores. Yeah. What? It's, like, abandoned. Yeah. You can shoot a movie in there. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. It's like not, not it's much robots. going on. I know. <laughs> exactly. Wait, wait. So what's so, there if there's only four stores? Not too much. Nothing else. There's four stores and a bunch of closed stores. It's crazy. Yeah, a lot of like walled up 
places. And it had characters from Eating Raul and uh, Rock and Roll High School. Mary uh, Warrenov, remember her? Oh, yeah. yeah. And Paul Bartel. What was the one with Gene Simmons that was robots? Oh, that's not Runaway. This. Oh, Runaway. Okay, yeah. we're getting confused. So, but this had robots. This is just, so the poster yeah, has a bag, but robots. it's robots. Yeah, it's robots. Oh, the okay. security robots in the mall. They malfunction, you know. And then there's like a, there's like an after party at the mall, and um, shit gets crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a freaking eighties man. <laughs> oh man, I gotta see this now. Yeah, yeah. I never saw it. One of these uh, those eighties movies yeah. on my list. I just never end up seeing. I am currently watching a show on HBO it's pretty fucking dark dude it's like real life horror it's Chernobyl Chernobyl is on fire and every atom of uranium is like a bullet penetrating everything in its path metal concrete flesh now Chernobyl holds over three trillion of these bullets Some of them will not stop firing for 50,000 years. Tell me how to put it out. You are dealing with something that has never occurred on this planet before. Oh. Yeah, it's not a horror movie in a sense, but it's like the real life horror of what really happened back in the, in 86 with the uh, nuclear plant meltdown. Same year as Chopping Mall. Yeah, right? <laughs> Coincidence? Coincidence. Whoa. <laughs> so yeah, it stars uh, Stellan Skarsgård and uh, Emily Watson. It's got this great cast. And of course, you know, everybody's Russian. Mikhail Gorbachev's in it. There's all these characters, right? So this whole thing with the nuclear meltdown, for people that don't know, it, it's, you know, it's a real life thing that happened. And what you're watching is the horrors of how the Soviet Union, like, handled the situation. Like, they basically sentenced people to death in the sense that it's like, hey, you know, nothing wrong, nothing, no, no, nothing wrong with the plant. And it's like, you know, here's a bunch of firefighters and dead because they were exposed to so much radiation. And then it's like, okay, you know, so we need miners. Cool. How many? So, you know, thousands, 2,000, 4,000, whatever, come to dig up, you know, underneath to help the thing from melting down. It's like, oh dead because all of them expose radiation cancer and stuff it's very dark it's like you get to see the truth of what went down of how they handle you know all the lies they told people and the fact that they had to um evacuate the city of Pipriot, but not until like many days later where all those people were exposed to radiation like you see kids going to school and you know the families and stuff and then one day the buses roll in and it's like drop what you're doing get on the bus and get out told by the russian soldiers to this day you can go on youtube and you can watch these crazy people like go there it's highly radioactive and a lot of these hot spots will be highly radioactive for like the next twenty six thousand years but people go there they have the balls to go there and like shoot these you know videos for youtube and stuff and dude it's a ghost town they're walking with geiger counters and you know they're it's like here's a playground here's here's the desk here's the school here's the theater you know whatever and some spots are so radioactive you just hear the thing going off the charts i don't know why people would go there and get exposed to radiation but they do and you know you can do it through some tourism channels because you can't go there as a tourist you gotta basically say that you're a scientist or some kind of like geologist or something you know what in reality it's all tourism but it's like i don't understand why people go there but it's crazy to see this town so empty a whole city empty completely like it's a ghost town it was so crazy that they had to chop the entire forest and bury the entire forest because it was so radioactive. Whoa. And like now everything's grown out. So you have these trees that have grown out in the middle of crosswalks where like, you know, there used to be in roads where trucks and people would walk around. And now there's just trees growing everywhere in front of the buildings and everything. It's just crazy. It's so dark. It's so creepy. You just tell that it's like there's something really off. And of course, there was a horror movie made about that and all that, you know. But the horror movie aside, the real life horror is... You know, how people were lied to and then how nurses, doctors, everybody who just, they weren't told the truth. And it's like so many people died of like extreme radiation, poisoning, cancer in days or weeks. But definitely worth checking out. It's on HBO. So I've been working on a project where I studied a lot of Chernobyl. Dude, and, and Fukushima. It's yeah, it, it sucked me down a rabbit hole. Like every night, I've been watching two or three videos on Chernobyl because it's crazy what you can see. What, what you know, people go to like these. It's an empty city. It's crazy. Is there so, a lot of buildings standing? Is oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the whole city's standing. We saw the intruder. If you lost everything that was important, and then you had a chance to get it back. Wouldn't you just go for it? Woo! <laughs> oh, oh. 
with Dennis Quaid. Yes! <laughs> oh, we snuck out and saw the new D. Quaid wow. film. <laughs> it came out May 3rd, directed by Dion Taylor, written by David Lowry. Stars Michael Eli and Megan Good, about a wealthy couple who buy a house in the middle of Napa. Only to be stalked by its previous owner, played by an insane <laughs> Dennis Quaid. Seriously insane. 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I don't agree with that 30%. It was entertaining. Would give it? I would give it, out of 100, 93. What? 93. Wow, cool you liked house? it. It was a cool house. <laughs> right. but exactly, Austin. Dennis Quaid, he played it so crazy mm. that you couldn't stop watching him. Yeah, he had this like maniacal smile. It was like really yeah, scary. Yeah, but he was acting great. Like he was kind of like acting like maybe like Nicolas Cage would act. Oh, Just wow. unhinged. Right. <laughs> it was crazy. Weird camera angles. Like it didn't look right. It was just an oddball movie. Wow. Disguised <laughs> as something you'd think, you know, just like a popcorn kind of thriller. But you go in and you get this bizarre experience that I couldn't stop. I was like, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was going to be like super. I mean, it was cheesy, but I thought it was going to be bad cheesy, but it was fun cheesy. Yeah, it was great. And then it started out our first showing we bought tickets for got canceled. And I'm like, is this like an omen? And then oh. the second one got moved. Yeah. So Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Never, that's never happened happened to me i think randy quaid has something to do with that <laughs> <laughs> but we went to the americana and that's my place yeah i know i was looking for you i didn't see you there though midnight showings baby that's where i'm at no it wasn't midnight <laughs> a good part of why this movie was really fun is the cinematographer that worked on it worked on the original texas chainsaw massacre Whoa. oh He's really awesome. He's done like tons of music videos from like U2, The Police, Guns N' Roses. Wow. He worked on The Boy, Zapped. And then he also did. You the say Cin Zapped. Zapped, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Talking about eight. Maybe that came out Scott in 86. Bano. Maybe it was yeah, 86. It been 86. <laughs> that's right. And he also worked on the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So they had very like similar angles. Yeah. And it was. That's what made it so weird. Yeah. And then apparently Dennis was a big help on set and he was like moving lights and chairs. <laughs> and Aww, working a guy. Yeah. Working overtime. Yeah. Buying coffee for everybody. He was just like a stand up dude. And then we found this YouTube video, which you should totally watch on Funny or Die, right? Oh, yeah. That, remember that hoax he pulled where Dennis Quaid had a freak out on set? No. Oh. And he was just freaking out at the director. It was crazy. And he's swearing and everything. And it turned out it was an elaborate hoax yeah. by Funny or Die. Oh. So we went down a little Dennis Quaid. Yeah. It was uh, shot in Vancouver. It was not <laughs> shot in Napa Valley. I just totally knocked a water bottle over. This is it full of water? Yeah, but it's closed. Okay. So it's all good. All good. <laughs> the equipment breaks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was... Definitely, I don't know if I would suggest going to the theater, but maybe like renting it. I would say go to the theater. Don't oh, snooze course. on this one. Don't snooze on this one. You got to see a crazy Dennis Quaid on the biggest screen you could possibly see it. That is true. Maybe an IMAX. If they do an IMAX over at the City Walk there. Go, uh, wow, that's amazing because he also has like another film coming out. It's like The Life of a Dog or yeah, something. Yeah, he's, big into, yeah, he's big into dogs. Yeah. yeah. So it's like he's so ha he's like the hero in that. And Aww. then he's now, he, he plays duality. He's so... He does. He has the complexity to do both. I love that he <laughs> loves dogs because I love dogs. You remember him in Inner Space? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was shrunk and I injected into Martin Short, yep. I believe. That is 100% true. <laughs> I mean, in the movie. <laughs> Underrated science fiction comedy. That's right. Like Zapped. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we saw a film from 2015. Because we had watched it when it came out and wanted to rewatch it again because it is a great little film streaming on Netflix called The Invitation. This beautiful moment is upon us. Tonight is the night our faith is made real. Something doesn't feel safe here. Directed by Karen Kusama. Yeah. The great yes. Karen Kusama. Yes. I think she had not made a film for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea that, you know, what happened? And then she just comes out with this, like, super beautiful gem. 
which she describes as a black comedy of manners. The story is about, have, have you guys seen it? Mm-hmm. Yes. I've seen yeah. 90% of it. But I'm a huge <laughs> Jennifer's cool. Body fan. Yeah. So yeah. as a Karen Kusum, I, I want to yeah. see it. So have you not seen the ending? No. Oh. oh. I know. Wow. The ending is, I don't want to oversell it. It's just so good. Yeah. Okay. It's so good. And I don't want to, you know, without ruining anything, it's just a very simple, the whole movie takes place in, in a house mm-hmm. in one location. It has an opening scene. We're driving up there with the main character. Played by Logan Marshall Green. Yes, most recently from Upgrade. Mm-hmm. Directed by Lee Wynell. Yes, Upgrade directed by Lee Wynell, yeah. He's been invited to this dinner party at his ex-wife's house. He's with his current girlfriend going to his, it used to be his house, him and his ex-wife. She still lives in the house that they shared. They have a tragic past and he's reluctant and he's sort of fallen out with all of the friends from that part of his life. So he's kind of reluctant to go there, but he's kind of doing it as a favor. So we get all this sort of backstory on the way up there. And then it's just, it's very eerie. It's like, you know, she's going through something and she has these new friends and it has this sort of very awkward, like everyone's being very polite and this awkwardness to it. And then it takes this turn. Like, it's just perfect. Like the timing is perfect. The whole movie sort of like hit from his point of view, but you don't know if he's perceiving things correctly. And it just turns and it's just fucking bananas. It's a slow, like slow burn because you kind of feel it's basically like a dinner party that goes wrong. And so you're sitting in the feeling of being in this dinner party and you know, I'm sure everyone's been at a dinner party where you're like, should I be here? You know, especially when they bring out the video about a cult or, you know. <laughs> especially, yeah. I hate when that happens. Exactly. When you're like, you're like, look at this video of this new experience we were having we want to share with you. And there's that element to the movie where you're kind of like, hmm, you know, something's not quite right. And then our main character, Will, he's going through his own thing. So you're kind of not sure what perspective to follow. Like, who do you trust? Right. And so that's kind of what you're playing off of. And also playing off of grief. There's a lot of grief, dealing with the emotion of grief in the movie, which is really heavy, which I think Karan Kasama did really well. And particularly in shooting in one location, like all the camera work that had to be done. I mean, there's like a big cast. There's like over 10 people in this cast that you have to like compose. And, you know, you're doing a dinner party, so you kind of have to get the angles right in order to convey this building suspense and tension. And I think she did a really great job of doing that. Yeah. And what's really great is when the, when the turn happens, she described the camera work as becoming impolite. Oh, so it's all like very well structured. And then the camera work really reflects the tone shift. It's surprising. Like it's, I was caught off guard with how awesome it was. I don't know what to, what I was expecting, but yeah, it's really, it's a tight, beautiful film. I've always been curious if she was inspired by this movie called The Celebration. 100%. Yes, oh, really? Yes, totally. That is absolutely, oh, that is absolutely oh, damn. on the list of, uh, of inspirations. Damn, that's crazy. What's I, the story with The Celebration? How old's that it, one? It's like, if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the first DV movie or? No, it's uh, part of this wave that happened in the mid-90s called Dogma 95, where all this Danish filmmakers, including Lars von Trier, it was about these four Danish filmmakers yes. got together and they had this whole manifesto about making non-Hollywood movies. So they had, there's a list of, I think, 10 rules or something. And one of them is can't be shot on film. So you write, it's all shot on DV, yes. mini DV. No added music. All music had to be on set. No props. You could only use what existed in the place. Huh. It was like stripped of all artifice. It's just really raw acting and you can move the camera however you want. And it was like, you know, mostly shot with friends and family, right? And it's like the camera follows conversations throughout the party, you know, the celebration. And the conversations get dark. It's a family reunion. Yeah. And there's a couple, a brother and sister that don't want to be there. Yes. And you don't know why. And it just gets more and more awkward until the climax. That sounds fascinating. Both it's, movies. It's really yes. good. Yeah, Celebration's great. And uh, yeah, the invitation is so good. Yeah, we'll watch it together. Yeah, I want yeah, yeah, no, to, yeah, you're watching it yeah. go from the beginning. See, I it. stopped it because it was like, I felt guilty watching yeah. it. <laughs> that happens. You. That ha- That's a, uh, like a couple thing, right? Like yeah. that happens. Where you're like, yeah. you're watching something like, oh shit, this is good. I got to stop it until. Well, yeah, you want to share it. Yeah. yeah. Share in the dread. The <laughs> 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 Although you still won't watch to all the boys who I loved or whatever. I love that movie. Not That's not horror. a horror movie, though. No. It's like a teen comedy, I think, right? Or still really good teen drama. <laughs> I'll yeah. watch it. I'll watch it. You might be pleasantly surprised. We could start the teen crew. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the Breakfast Club in Twilight. I'm down. Let's start it tomorrow. So in it, Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, I am there like so there. CW crew. 
You want to help satisfy his needs. Keep him from killing anybody real. <gasps> she seems human. Where am I? Do you remember my son? How far are you willing to go for? She's more than just a copy. She's remembering who she was. How many times has he killed me? Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is easily one of the most discussed fresh new producers and directors in the genre. After several years working at the esteemed Blumhouse Productions, she brought her own electric creative vision to the world, including her acclaimed first short film, Where Are You?, and a series of shorts for Crypt TV, like the incredibly creepy Marco Polo and Under the Bed. You've likely seen these passed along your newsfeed on Instagram or Facebook as they pretty much all went viral. She directed an award-winning horror musical comedy stage play called Slashed for the 2017 Hollywood Fringe Festival. And if you're listening to this at the time of release, her debut feature film for Blumhouse's Into the Dark series on Hulu, a Mother's Day-centric tale called All That We Destroy, has just risen from the laboratory. It stars Israel Broussard and Samantha Mathis. Also, at the legendary Overlook Film Festival this month, the debut of her much-anticipated second feature, this time with Fangoria. Everybody is talking about this on the premiere of Satanic Panic. We are honored to welcome Chelsea Stardust. Yeah! <laughs> Thank you. Excited to be here. Thank you so much that for making the time. Exhausted me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wow. So Chelsea, going back to the beginning here, what was your first experience in discovering the horror genre? That's a great question. I would say mix between horror in literature, probably. Mm. With like Benicula books. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love so those books. yeah. So all those was probably my first step into it the scary stories to tell in the dark and goosebumps that was probably like the very first step into it and then halloween is like a huge deal in my family i'm an only child i'm from the midwest i grew up on a farm not a traditional farm i grew up with like 30 sled dogs because i used to race sled dogs back in the day that's for another another (laughs) another time another day uh but we had an organic garden so we picked pumpkins every season and would carve them and halloween was like a huge deal my parents would throw a party every year And through that, my dad would always show me the Universal Monster movies and all the cartoons. Like I was raised on like Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Scooby-Doo and Trick or Treat, the Donald Duck cartoon. (laughs) That was the first step into it. The Universal Monster movies, I love. Dracula is my favorite. And uh, obviously Wolfman, Creature, Frankenstein, The Bride, etc. And that just took me the next step, which was like Night of the Living Dead. And then he started showing me Alien and just kept going from there. So at what point did you decide to start kind of taking it as a career path and either you're making films with your friends or how did it go? Yeah. Once I saw Night of the Living Dead, I saw when I was 10 years old. I'm like, that's the movie. My favorite. I want to make movies like this. Was it scary to you? I was 10. So yeah, I was like terrified. Really? It was. And the music actually, I think was the scariest part. The minute the movie starts, like that score is so unsettling. I was like, something's not right. Because I saw my older brother, so I always felt safe. Scared, but safe. You know what I mean? Who'd you see it with? My dad. Okay. He he bought the VHS and he says, if you get scared... I'll turn it off. It's not a big deal. I was like, that's a challenge. Like, I'm not no way. Obviously made it through. And then I obsessed about it. And I would show my babysitters. And they were just like, what? And they hadn't seen that movie. And they were like, what, what is this stuff? Why are you watching this? <laughs> my dad actually went to film school. So he was a cinephile. So he oh, showed cool. me all different kinds of movies, not just horror movies. And encouraged me to make movies. When I was born, he bought one of those um, video cameras that has the VHS tape in it. And he'd record like all our Halloween parties and all that stuff. So cameras were... I grew up around them. I just picked one up. I asked my teacher, can I do a film instead of a paper? Like, could I just do a short film instead of writing this exam? And they're like, yeah, go for it. So I started doing that all through high school. And then I was like, I want to go to film school. That was it. Did you make horror shorts when you were doing those VHS? I did. I did like a continuing education course through the Cleveland Institute of Art with this filmmaker in Cleveland named Robert Banks, who's an experimental filmmaker, and he's obsessed with horror. So we got super, those were super eight short films. So What was the the first short horror film? So the first one was, oh God, if I can remember, it was with my dog and we did sort of ghost shadow puppets on the wall. And I think it was like three minutes long, but I took and scribbled like death and things like that on the film. <laughs> so when you watch it, you can see all these like That's messages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and learned how to cut and splice and all of that. And then when I went to college, 
they were like not into horror movies. They were just like, they wanted art movies. No one was into horror. And I remember one of my professors, I think it was like my sophomore year. She said to me, you know, maybe you should rethink your major. Maybe you should rethink your major. And nothing motivates you more than hearing something (laughs) like that. And then I continued making all different kinds of movies. I did a zombie music video. My thesis is an homage to John Waters and is really weird. Something I don't share, but if someone wants to seek it out, you can find it online. But horror has always been where my my heart is. After you wrapped up with film school, was the first step to come out to LA? and Basically, like our film school took us to a film festival, the Austin Film Festival. Every year, they'd take a group of us film students, and we ended up meeting a lot of industry people. And also, because we were college kids, we weren't being like, hey, will you make my movie? All these filmmakers, like Shane Black, would come up to us and talk to us and interact with us, because we're not there to like try to make a movie. We're just there to learn. I hooked up with one of the writers from The Wedding Crashers, and he said, are you interested in interning? Are you looking for an internship? Like we just instantly hit it off. And I said, I'd love to do that. I said, okay, come out to Los Angeles. And he hooked me up with Heyday, who make the Harry Potter movies. So I interned between my junior and senior year. When my internship was over, they asked me, they're like, are you interested in like, do you want a PA on one of the Harry Potter movies? Nice. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh thanks, man. I got to go finish my thesis, though. Oh. <laughs> and I think, oh, man, I can't remember which one, where they were in the series, because they were just shooting them all back to back. But I said no <laughs> and went and finished my thesis. I was planning on going to New York, but after I had a taste of Los Angeles sunshine, I grew up in snow. No snow here. It's great. <laughs> Sunny almost every day. I was like, no, this is where I want to be. Finished my senior year. I got home. And literally the minute I got home, I got a call from the woman I interned for a year ago. And she said, my assistant's leaving. Are you interested in like being my assistant? I said, uh, I was going to like take the summer off, but I can't turn down a job working at a production company. And she's like, OK, great. Well, can you start next week? So I literally packed up my life, bought a car and drove across the country. And at the time she had moved companies. And from heyday, she went to the Montecito Picture Company. And that's Ivan Reitman's company. Ghostbusters Animal House. Old school comedy. Worked there for a year and a half and then ended up working for Judd Apatow for two years directly after that. And so I just fell into comedy. Comedy is just like where I ended up. And I was with Judd for funny people and get him to the Greek and Bridesmaids, which was an amazing experience. But it's not. And what were you doing on those films? I was one of Judd's four assistants. And I was everything from doing playback for the movies to babysitting, reading scripts. And at the time they were getting submissions or scripts from Lena Dunham for girls. A lot of that stuff. And I met amazing people. Like I got to hang out with the cast of Bridesmaids and funny people and talking to Adam Sandler. I'm like, Adam Sandler knows my name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also incredible cinematographers like Janusz Kaminski and Bob Yeoman, who I absolutely have loved since I started watching movies. So He's, a, he's Spielberg's uh, mm-hmm. DP, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's amazing. Yeah. And but I was like, man, my heart is not in comedy. It's in horror. And Judd was like, well, good luck with that. <laughs> I don't understand those movies. I don't can't help you, but I'm sure you'll be just fine. Then I I had about a month or two sort of break from work and a friend reached out and she's like, hey, she's also an assistant. And she said, hey, there's this guy who's looking for an assistant. He does horror movies. His name's Jason Blum. I'd never heard of him. I looked him up on IMDb. It said Paranormal Activity. There was like one credit. I said, oh, I liked that movie. Yeah. I'll meet with him. Yeah, he sounds cool. And uh, in the sort of a interesting parallel is during this time, this is super Hollywood, but my masseuse, <laughs> super Hollywood, I know. <laughs> my masseuse heard I liked horror movies and she's like, oh, one of my clients is James Wan. You should meet him. And I was like, I know this was just like basically saw and dead silence. And I think that sentence had come out. And then I hadn't heard of, you know, anything he had done recently. I was like, oh, I'd, I'd love to meet him. So she introduced us. I was a night owl at the time and he was cutting insidious and so we would sort of facebook message and talk and get to know each other and then i ended up interviewing with jason and he said you know i said i love hitchcock he loves hitchcock he said why don't you come to this screening i'm doing bring some friends it's on the sony lot i said okay he said then let me know your thoughts on on what you see us all right so i go to the sony lot into this teeny tiny theater and Rob Zombie is sitting behind me. And I was like, well, this is fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, this incredible, crazy orchestral string score comes up and the movie's insidious. Oh, yeah. So, Joe yeah. Bichardo. Joe Bichardo, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got to see this sort of preview screening and Rob was seeing it. And I was like, this movie is going to change a lot of things. I want to be a part of this company. And so Jason said, all right. Here's 10 scripts to read over your Christmas break. Why don't you start in January? And this was 2011. 
So I started in January and then Insidious came out that April and I got to meet James. I finally got to meet him at the premiere and I was like, James, he's like, Chelsea. And then we (laughs) hugged for like five minutes. I'm like, it's so nice to finally meet you. And then everything at the company changed. Like Insidious came out and then I was with him until Whiplash went to the Oscars. So until the top of like 2015. Oh, wow. So four years from a teeny tiny office at Paramount to a building on the east side and now it's like an empire basically <laughs> wow. wow you really saw the rise from the inside yeah yeah they're for all the franchises the purge sinister obviously a bunch of paranormals yep because i think only two had come out or was about to come out when i started yeah it was a incredible experience and obviously i'm getting to hang out with all these filmmakers that i've like loved and admired for so long is very surreal and then jason was a wonderful person to work for or i wouldn't have been there for four years of my life was this back when he was had his um mobile office yes yes so he has an astro van that was gutted and then the insides converted into like there's a reclining seat, a computer, cable TV, internet, like a hotspot, all this stuff. I think there's like, there's probably a mini fridge now. <laughs> it's like the mystery machine. That would be amazing. Yeah. Wait, 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 what do you mean now? He ha- still has it. It's upgraded. It. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's upgraded. So he had a driver because he found that like everyone's always on their phones in LA. So no one's really paying attention to the road. And he's like, this is kind of dangerous. Maybe I should have a driver and then I can keep working. It's just so he's constantly working. I did all of his scheduling. I was his executive assistant. Literally from the moment he woke up to the moment he went to bed, every moment of the day was filled. Wow. Everything. And if something canceled, I just put something else in the slot. He does not stop. Wow. He is crazy. A, is it just yeah. like meetings, meetings, meetings? Or Calls, is it like lunches, good. gym, more What everything? about uh, any <laughs> nap breaks? No. <laughs> no. No naps. No naps at all. Wow. That's when he was like, once he got home, <laughs> and it was like bedtime and he was done. Yeah. Is there a favorite thing that you got to do while working there that you're like, this was the greatest experience ever? Oh, man. Just in terms of something that they did. I loved the Blumhouse of Horrors. I don't know if anyone got to go Oh, the to haunt. Was that a universal? No, it was like its own. Oh, its own thing. Yeah, it was in this building downtown and they basically, it was pretty much... I think it was empty or abandoned or something. And they leased it out and turned it into multiple floors. And it was all Blumhouse themed haunts within it. They used their production designers from their movies to do all the set deck and had all these actors. And it was really awesome. It was a really cool experience. But then he ended up just having like the Blumhouse maze at Universal. Being a part of that was really fun. When did they do that? Yeah, damn, oh, we missed question. out. Oh man, maybe 10 years ago? 12 maybe? Okay. Ooh, something like that. It, it, I think it was right after the blackout, around the oh, time, yeah, right? Yeah, I think so. And they just did it for like one Halloween yeah. season, I'm assuming, yeah. and then that was that it. That was it. Huh. And that was it. And so that was really fun. And also it's just being a part of all the movies and the premieres and all that stuff was really cool. And just hanging out on set and getting just to talk to all the directors and watch them work was probably like one of the best things and also i got to meet joe dante and so he came in for a meeting nice. and jason was running a little bit late and i try to never do this but <laughs> <laughs> i went into jason's office i was like hey joe i'm sorry to ask you this but would you mind signing my gremlins dvd and he's like oh yeah. gremlins gremlins was really fun to make and he's, he signed it for me and he's like oh i'm so glad you like that movie and he was so nice to me <laughs> which was really special because people aren't always nice to you. So when you're meeting your heroes, it's like the worst if they're an asshole. But he was lovely. And just some of the people that he interacted with, it's always cool. Do you just feel a little bit one step closer to like your heroes and these people you admire and are one of the reasons that you do what you do and want to make movies? That's a perfect way to like to learn your craft. You know what I mean? Be around all that. Yeah. And also watching how all different directors work. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you'd watch and be like, uh, do I need to step in? Like, is there a problem happening? Like, <laughs> And then watching someone like James Wan work or Lee Whannell or James DeMonico, just people who are such incredible creatives and really just have mastered the craft of filmmaking. Was there one set experience you had on a Blumhouse project where you feel you learned the most? Yeah, it was actually after I had left Blumhouse, but I got to shadow Adam Brobatel on Insidious The Last Key. Oh, yeah. yeah. We saw that, remember, as yeah. a group. We saw yeah. It. Yeah. 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 After I had left Blumhouse, I was assisting different directors, one in commercial, one in television, or yeah, one in television, and then this job for Adam Robitel came up and I already knew Adam in a, my sort of horror community social circle. And I reached out. I said, I heard you need an assistant. Can I do that? He's like, oh, yeah, of course. You don't even have to interview. The job is yours. <laughs> nice. And yeah, so I was just with him from prep 
through shooting and just the start of post. And that was incredible because I was by his side the whole time. So I could watch him from script notes to working with actors to being on set and talking with his DP and all of his department heads and production design, everything. I was right next to him for. And that was by far after that experience, I was like, okay, I'm ready to go do this. Like I have the confidence now. I'm ready to tackle this. Oh, that's incredible. His movie, The Taking of Deborah Logan. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, wow. yeah, that's taking awesome. Deborah was so yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. creepy. Robotel's a genius, man. He's incredible. <laughs> How do they cultivate talent at Blumhouse? Obviously, you went. Did they find out that, hey, Chelsea wants to direct? I was really clear with Jason from the start of my job there. And I was like, I just want to direct movies. I don't want to be an executive. I don't want to be a director of development. I don't want to run Blumhouse. I just want to direct. And he said, Okay. I respect that. I said, I'll be your assistant until I'm ready to go do that. He said, okay. And then once the time for me to go off and direct happened, I was like, okay, I'm ready, ready to do this. He said, you should start directing for Crypt TV and start doing short films. I hadn't made anything since college. So I'm like, no one's going to hire me. And then just, I think I made, I've done six short films in total. All during that time, I was making those shorts. I was sending scripts to my friend, Ryan Turek, who worked at Blumhouse. And he comes from Shock to Drop, the horror website that existed many moons ago. And I was just like, how about this one? Okay, how about this one? And it was just like, pass, 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 pass. And then finally, he saw All That We Destroy. And he said, this is the one I want to make with you. Like, this is the one. This And it was all about the script. He just found a script he connected with and ran it through Cooper. And then Jason was like, yeah. Let's give her a chance to do this. And like no company or very few companies, I won't say no companies, look at their assistants as anything other than assistants. And the fact that he was like, okay, I trust you to go make this movie. Here's a chunk of money means a lot. And the fact that it's so hard to get out of that assistant, whether it's in a production office or a PA on set for anyone to look at you as anything other than that is very rare. And he was super supportive of it and gave me the and it was great to come full circle, like working there and then making my first movie with them was was awesome. How did you learn your own process by shadowing people and being around all of that? Because when you transition, then, you know, it's one thing to observe. It's another thing to, as I'm sure, you know, sit in the chair. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what's that? I mean, what does that feel like? And what and what did, what did you think you learned from all the... Man, that's a great question. I think just from shadowing and seeing that there is no one way to do it. That it's sort of like the way you want to do it or what you feel comfortable with. That was really helpful. I also watched a lot of like making ofs and listened to commentaries and really, really prepared myself. And the short films, those were a little bit different because like a lot of my crew were people I went to college with. So I was very familiar with them. And I was working with actors that I went to college with and friends. So it made it a little bit, I'll say, quote unquote, easier. But then when you're doing something like All That We Destroy and I didn't know any of the actors before I worked with them. So that was a totally different experience. And I'm a little nervous. And I was like, you know what? I just need to be as prepared as possible for this. So I just did shot listing and storyboarding and met with the writers for hours on end, just breaking down the script and talking about motivations. What does this line mean? What does this scene mean? Let's really dig into it. So that anytime anyone had a question for me, I always had the answer. So it was a thing. And if I didn't have the answer, I would be like, okay, well, let's discuss it. Let's try to work it out and try to not say, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All That We Destroyed is an incredible film. Oh, thank you. It's paced very well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So the writers, Sean Keller and Jim Agnew, wrote it for me specifically to direct. And when they pitched it, they're like, we need to talk about Kevin meets Psycho Mm -hmm. in the Black Mirror world. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, Perfect. Sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And of course, like, I've always been fascinated with what, I am not a parent, but what parents will do for their children, like how far someone will go for their child. And especially studying films like The Exorcist and Poltergeist and Cujo and how far those parents are willing to go. Very creepy. Yeah. Yeah. That relationship with the mom and the son. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the question of like nature versus nurture, she's questioning if his serial killer tendencies in his DNA or, you know, at the end of the film, will that, you know, spoiler alert, will the the version, (laughs) will the the clone of him coming out of the goo, will that be the son he, she always wanted? Right, right. So, Mm. and you just, but you get the feeling maybe not though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool movie. And that whole cast was incredible. I was so yeah, lucky. Yeah, great cast. How did the casting of Israel Broussard come about? Because, I mean, 
he's in Happy Death Day. Yeah. Totally different character. Totally different character. Yeah. <laughs> now you're like, holy, this is dark. Yeah, great question. When we were doing casting, there were a couple of people I had on my list that I specifically wanted to audition for the role. Israel was one of them because I had seen Happy Death Day. And I reached out to Chris Landon and I said, hey, what can you tell me about Israel? What does he like to work with? And I also talked to not only Chris, but I talked to some production people too because like the director of course, are always honest with me, but I also want to know, like, was he on time? Like, was he mean to the costumers? Like, you right. know, I always want to know That's that stuff. stuff. Yeah. 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 And they, everyone loved him and said great things about him. I know he really wanted the part. And he had said to me, he's like, of all the work I've done, this is one of the scripts that I really wanted to get. And so he was very excited to be cast in it. And Aurora Paranow, I actually knew Aurora from Gentlemen the Holograms because I worked on that oh, when I was yes. at Blumhouse. Didn't know her personally, but had met her once. I'm a huge fan of Samantha Mathis. Yes. yes. Pump up the volume. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, talk hard. And Frank Whaley was who I wanted for the role of Parker from the very beginning. And he is friends with Jason. So I asked Jason, I was like, will you put an email into Frank and tell him I'm legit? So he'll do this movie. And Dora Madison, I'm a huge fan of Friday Night Lights and Dexter. So that's how she came about. But I had just honestly had an amazing casting director. So John McAlary and Matthew Nelson were just incredible to work with. And I saw amazing talent. Like it was an embarrassment of riches. I was like, oh, fuck, all these people are awesome. Like, but I have to, who are these characters? So it's such a small cast, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we shot the movie in 15 days. So, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you really got to have the shots like planned out. Yeah. Like, for sure. Yeah. yeah. My, my DP and I, we basically shot the whole movie with these little models, so these little teeny tiny dolls, essentially. And so we literally, he has an app on his phone that you could pull up the camera you were using and the lens you want to use. Oh, wow. And it will match what that frame will look like. And so we literally shot the whole movie shot by shot with these models. And it took, I think, two weeks to do. And we're talking like 12 hour days of like doing this. Wow. And because we had no time on set to be like, all right, you know, have our coffee on set. How are we going to shoot this? What do we want to, what do we want to do here? <laughs> no, we had to know exactly what we were going to do so we could bring the actors in and say, okay, you go here and here and here and let's walk through it and then make adjustments if that didn't feel Did it, right. Where was that shot at? Let's see. We shot in Santa Clarita and Woodland Hills and downtown but all LA locations. Nice. So I love the technology too in the film, the way that you also presented it. Ah, oh, thank you. Yeah, the tech was, that was a whole other <laughs> thing to and, tackle. And coming out of the whatever that was. The goo. Yeah. 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 What was that made so of? So what is the yeah. goo? Yeah. yeah. Okay, first off, I'll address your tech question. So the tech, we basically sent a bunch of examples of, we use like Minority Report and yep. obviously Black Mirror. But we said, this isn't so far into the future where we're no longer using iPhones and we're using like, you know, holograms or whatever. We need it to be believable. So mm -hmm. we just, how do we elevate? What's iPhone going to look like in five years? That's what I sort of told my production designers. And then the goo. So the story, oh my God, I owe Israel and Aurora forever for, for the goo. <laughs> so my makeup team who work on almost all my films, I told them what I wanted and that I had to be in this giant container. And so the goo is actually made up of water, cornstarch and food grade charcoal. Because it had to be okay that it got in their mouth, in their ears, in their nose, in their eyes, but also sort of something that could be sterile because we couldn't change out the goo baths for the actors. Oh, so they had to be in the same no. bath. So it's like we needed to make sure it was sanitary for both of them. <laughs> Where we shot, we didn't find this out till the day of. And I'm like, well, we have to fill the goo because it's in the movie the whole time. And we didn't shoot them coming out of the goo till the last, that was the last shots of the day. And the facility had no hot water. So the goo oh, no. is about 50 degrees. Oh. And oh, no. we had to, as it sat, it started to get thicker and thicker. Like the cornstarch started to make it solidify a little bit. So we had to take some out and fill it full of more water. And it was a whole process <laughs> and because of the cornstarch it created like a suction so the actors couldn't push themselves under the water they had to be pushed down oh. so we had to have people come oh in God, and push terrifying. them down and like they were claustrophobic oh gosh. and you can't hear anything when you're in the goose oh. so literally oh. push them down and you can hear it like suctioning around them like <laughs> oh, and wow. and oh, then creepy. we had to bang on this and then it had to settle and then you have to bang on the side so they know when to come up and not chatter and not like because their teeth started to shake oh, they were starting wow. to shake and then they like amp themselves up to go back down for the next take because aurora comes out she's in all different angles and then they then had to get out of the goo and take cold showers because there was no hot water in the oh. so 
so I owe them forever <laughs> doing that. It looks so good. So, it looks amazing. Okay. Yeah. Make the, so, question: Did you go in the goo to show them what it's like? Like you can do it also. <laughs> <laughs> did you take the hit? I did not. Oh. <laughs> but I did help start. I offered to, but by the end of the day, everyone was so exhausted. They're like we don't care, Chelsea. Like we're fine. We're cool. Right. Right. Yeah. I did so, do something that's in satanic panic that I can't share. That okay. Ruby Modine goes through. I did do that in solidarity, but no, did not go in the goo. <laughs> did you keep anything from the movie, like any of the art? Or- yeah. So I kept a little of the goo, which ended up exploding because it had a little cork on the bottle and it pressurized Ew, and exploded oh all over my ceiling. <laughs> now you have a nice stain to yep, remind yep, you forever. Scrub it off. <laughs> so I have a, that, and then I have all the drawings. Oh, like the oh, sketchbook wow. too. Yeah, I have That's all. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. So the artist is Shannon Keller. She's a local LA artist. She's also the writer Sean Keller's sister and I knew I wanted her drawings the minute I read the script the drawings obviously it depended on casting because they're obviously Aurora and Dora she had to draw their likeness so we were really pushing the deadline of like getting these drawings done so the minute they signed their deals we sent her their pictures to get started and the little girl that's her daughter Lux so Lux is in the movie and those are her sketching I was like what's it like sketching your daughter looking dead like she's like (laughs) she's very punk rock so she's like I'm it's fine. <laughs> like it's cool. I don't think it really like hit her until she watched the movie and she's like, oh yeah, that's a little dark. But yeah, I have all the drawings. I did give one to Aurora and I'm giving Dora one of them too. So that's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. kudos to you because Sean Keller, who co-wrote it, made a comment that you were the calmest, most prepared director he's worked with in over 15 years of filmmaking, which is pretty wow. outstanding for a first feature. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And he's also, yeah, he's worked with all different uh, huge directors so yes that was a, a great compliment he's also my boyfriend so <laughs> but I do know that's that's true also I just I'm not a writer so whenever I work with writers I very much want to bring their vision to life too it's not just about me like a movie it all starts with a script so I want to make sure they feel heard and feel like their work is being brought to life in the way they saw it as well so and they were on set or Sean was on set the whole time and it was great to have him there I didn't get to have Grady on set for Satanic Panic but I got to meet with him and talk with him a whole bunch before we started shooting which was really helpful but I love having the writers on set and being a part of the process what happens when you put out something like this in a fairly large scale especially for a first feature does your phone start ringing off the hook with people off like i'm not sure how it works is it like that shed some light on that yeah that's a good question uh so all that we destroy was a little bit different because i had already shot the movie and then i got satanic panic so i literally went from one movie into the next like i shot all that we destroy january of last year yeah 2018 and then i was already prepping satanic panic by july and fangoria and Cinestate were looking for a female director reached out to blumhouse they suggested me they saw all the way destroy they're like we want her so then i went to do that movie and then i was finishing both movies at once and then literally all that we destroy came out may 3rd and then i think they had right a week before had announced overlook was premiering satanic panic so basically it was like two movies premiering in the same month which I shot in the same year. It's like very overwhelming. Yeah, no stress, right? <laughs> <laughs> it looks badass though, right? You get yeah. two movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and considering it took me like, this is my 12th year in LA, so it took me like basically 11 years to get a movie made. Basically what started happening is the minute I was in all these different articles about Satanic Panic, like premiering at Overlook and then Dallas and Apocalypse were announced. Then my reps started getting calls and getting scripts sent for my consideration and to direct. And of course, like that feels good. And being able to meet with different companies and figuring out what to do next is really fun. But yeah, it just starts to happen. And obviously, like there's so much now in a world of social media. It's like everyone's talking about stuff on Twitter and I don't read reviews or comments really but sean has read everything he looks like he searches for hashtag all that we destroy (laughs) and i was like will you let me know if you come across a really like good and luckily most of the almost all the reviews have been great and all the feedback on twitter like you're always going to have haters you're always going to have someone who's like worst one of the series or and i'm like let me see your movie but uh (laughs) yeah yeah but everyone's always got something to say but most of it's been very positive and i'm trying to like interact with fans and people responding and letting them know that 
because without the fans, there's nothing. So letting them know that, like, I see you, I appreciate you watching this movie. And that's been the biggest thing is like all the social media craziness. I think when I before I made Destroy, I think I had like 500 Twitter followers. And now I'm like surpassing 3000. <laughs> and it's it's just weird that in this day and age, social media is so, like followers are so important and people are looking at that, which is very strange to me. But I try to be as positive as I can on social media instead of falling down that like yeah, dark hole. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see the first two films are in the horror genre. Are you going to continue doing horror movies? Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. That's my jam. I think the next thing I want to do, I want to be like Destroy is obviously a science fiction thriller. Satanic Panic is a horror comedy, which I pitch as like Evil Dead meets Jennifer's Body. Oh. Um, <laughs> with like uh, touches of Rosemary's Baby. Damn, that sounds um, awesome. Yeah. But I think that's where my heart is. Yeah. But there's other, you know, little things here and there. I wouldn't mind doing an action movie. I love Catherine Bigelow. I love everything she's done. Yeah. Yeah. So, great. yeah. So sort of following that path a little bit but horror is where my heart will always live and i will do horror i will make a horror movie every day if i can <laughs> nice. like all what i want to do so yeah. what is halloween like for you now living in los angeles i love that question oh awesome well i didn't get a halloween last year because i was making satanic panic but we did all dress up on set which is really cool <laughs> oh, that's nice. fun. but it was also it was cool to make a horror movie during halloween yeah. but la oh my goodness fuck there's just not enough time to discuss it all. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, so basically, I start off the season with apple picking in Oak Glen. Aww. And then nice. I go to Underwood Family Farms. Oh, in I Morgan. love that place. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, starting nice and classic. I yeah. love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even hit the haunts yet. We're yeah, just doing it. make yeah. some pie with that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. Oh, of course. Nice. Um, like we'll buy sugar pumpkins and make pie from scratch because that's what my dad used to do or does every year. Then, yes, the haunts. Obviously, there's Halloween Horror Nights, but I actually love Knott's Scary Farm. Yes. Oh, yes. Big up Knott's. Yeah. And, but also I love the home haunts. So speaking of like being in Burbank, yes. um, I'll go to like Rotten Apple and they basically like they release that spreadsheet of like all the haunts in, <laughs> yes. in LA, the home haunts. And right. we'll just take a night and we'll get a bunch of friends together and we'll just caravan to all the little backwards. places. Yeah, backwards. Yeah. Totally. Boney Island. I don't know if I'm hoping they bring that back. And then I have things like I do a pumpkin carving party and I watch a horror movie every single day of the month and I'll do them in all different ways. I've done alphabetical before. I've done just franchises. I'm trying not to, I tend to plan it out. Like in September, I'll write every movie I'm watching in October and I just, I need to be spontaneous about it. I don't need to be so organized. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then of course, there's like a ton of Halloween parties. Sean Keller and I throw a party the very beginning of October to kick off the holiday season. I usually have like six Halloween costumes that have already been decided by now. And I have them made for me. Yeah, I take it very seriously. That's amazing. <laughs> At the party, do you rotate during the party? Or are you just, these are for the whole season? Yeah, I haven't <laughs> done that because they've been like very, like I did uh, They Live. So I had my entire, like my whole face painted um, wow. as one of the They Live guys. So one of the aliens. So wow. obviously that's hard to switch out. But so I, I usually have six costumes every year. And then on Halloween, because it's always on a weekday. Yeah. I have people over and I make a bunch of food and we watch like we start with all the cartoons, Charlie Brown, Sleepy Hollow. Sometimes we'll do the WNUF Halloween special because luckily everything's online that we want to see. And then we'll we'll do John Carpenter's Halloween that's with everybody because so it's always like people got to work the next day. So I just have everyone over and just have a chill night watching Halloween and nice. then we'll play Halloween 3 for anyone who wants to stay for that one. <laughs> Which is one of my favorites. Do you ever watch the Paul crazy. Lind uh, Halloween oh, special? Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> All that so stuff. you got the uh, Halloween 3 yeah. Uh, I do. Pin. I do. And I actually have one of the masks, which I've been, uh, the, I have the pumpkin mask, which I've worn many a time. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's a great question. Have you gone on any like haunted tours? Like we've never done any haunted tours like the Queen Mary or they have like haunted hikes. Oh, like yeah. the legit yeah. paranormal LA tours? I haven't done. Queen Mary is actually one of the ones I actually, I haven't done yet. So that's on the list, hopefully for this year. Cause again, I missed everything last year and I'm hoping to make up for it big time this year. No, I haven't done. And again, there are the haunted like walks and stuff you can do. Oh, see, now I want, I'm going to add those to the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, you have to start in July. Yeah. Yeah. Have you done yeah. Reign of Terror? Oh my God, Reign of Terror is so amazing. Yeah. It's so awesome. Yeah. That's probably my, my favorite. favorite. Yeah. yeah. Of all the, like knots and how, also it's like, it is the cheapest one, but also <laughs> it's the, one of the longest ones. Yeah. It's like 30 minutes of nonstop. And I'm a huge scaredy cat. Like I have to go with a group of people and I have to 
be sandwiched in the middle because I can't have any like people sneaking up behind me or in front of me. Um, a huge baby when it comes to that stuff. I scream at everything. I'm like the best person to watch this yeah, movie with. Yeah, right. A haunted house with. <laughs> Masters at line control, a reign of terror, though, right? Because you feel yeah. like you're in there by yourself at times, yeah. which is the best part. Yeah, and I, I missed the one that they did. They just did something in like March. They one yeah. night. Yeah, we went to yeah. that we one. Went oh, to yeah. That. <laughs> so bummed. They added some stuff. They It seems like they always add stuff. They're constantly yeah, they changing added a couple it. More yeah, it's a preview for Halloween that's for, right. for what's coming, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like sometimes some of the bigger ones, you can tell what's recycled, which yeah. isn't the coolest thing. I did just do I Like Scary Movies, which was fun. It, I mean, it's cool. totally in like a Instagram right. <laughs> yeah. in right. the thing. I thought it was a little pricier than it should have been, yeah. but I really enjoyed the experience. I thought it was beautiful. Everything was beautifully made and it was really fun, but it's nice that we're so spoiled here. It's like year round. You can go to I Burbank, go to Bearded yeah, Lady, right, and right. Dark Dells in Halloween Town. Yeah, I feel true. like nothing like that exists in the States. We're very lucky, I think. Can you tell us anything about Satanic Panic? Like a little plot synopsis or anything? Yeah, I can give uh, a little... Well, the cast, obviously, is... Insane cast, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Haley Griffith, Ruby Modine, Rebecca Romaine, Jerry O'Connell, and then, of course horror legends like Jordan Ladd, Jeff Daniel Phillips, AJ Bowen. I'm so lucky with that cast. It was an incredible experience. Yeah, it's, you know, there's nothing really like it. It is not about satanic panic, like, you know, in the 80s. Like, this has nothing to do with that. (laughs) It's basically about a girl who's at the wrong place at the wrong time delivering a pizza and chaos ensues. That's like all I can... That sounds really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's very like after hours ask in terms that it all takes place in one night. That was such a fun, crazy experience. And I even asked our production design team, I said, can we have some real satanic things on set? Oh, um, wow. so I had them bring wow. Wait, what, what does that mean? I said, if anything, that carries like a dark power to it or oh. like Lilith mirrors and things like that. Oh, okay. And... I said, I want to bring that. A lot of people were like, that's a bad idea. And I was like, no, I want to use that. I want to channel that and use that. I didn't think there was anything. That is very Lady Macbeth of you. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I was like, I don't think anything quote unquote bad is going to come for this. Like, I'd much rather have something like that than anything from a Catholic church. So <laughs> no Fair offense enough. to anyone. But I was all about anything they could bring for authenticity. But uh, some of the actors, when they heard that, there was some stuff. And I, I knew what they were, but I didn't want anyone else to know. And so I told the production designer, I said, just just tell me what those items are. I mentioned, some, uh, opened my mouth and mentioned something in passing to my DP and one of our actors, Arden Mirren, heard it and was putting crystals in her clothes. Oh. <laughs> I was like, all right, I like that. I like that. Yeah, there you go. Use it. I see the yeah. bowl. What's going on there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much Satan was on our side. It rained a lot for the shoot, so. <laughs> <laughs> but Did anything creepy happen? Did anything creepy happen? You know, I don't think so. I don't think anything... We were very lucky. Like, I don't think anything supernatural or weird happened. Also, if it did, like, everyone was so exhausted, I don't think we even <laughs> like I think we were so too burnt out to be just, possessed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, we we did have something happen. We shot in these woods in the, the movie shot in in Dallas, Texas, which was an awesome place to shoot. The production value there is incredible. But we shot in these woods, and after we were wrapped for the night, they turn off the generators, and it's like real darkness like pitch black someone <laughs> someone mentioned to me that it was like cottonmouth season or something and that there would be that there and i was like oh well they're not going to bother us like at nighttime they're like oh they're nocturnal like oh great um, <laughs> and i fucking hate snakes so luckily didn't see any of those however one of the gaffers went in to get so coil up some cord that had been left behind and he walked in and was trying to, the sun was start, slowly starting to come up. So there was a teeny bit of light, but it was pretty dark. And he's like, I can't see anything. And he pops on his headlight and he's looking down and he's rolling the cable. And then he can see out of his peripheral vision, these little lights. And he's like, what is that? And he like lifts his headlamp up and there's thousands and thousands of spiders. Oh, so the eyes of the spiders, the glare is what he saw and they were just apparently there was like these woods are known for all these like spiders no and i was like 
nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they were there when the lights were on. They had scattered, but the minute the lights were off, they all like came back and like, Whoa. nope, nope, I'm out of here. <laughs> nope. Holy. <Yeah. laughs> what about that production stills that have been out? That looks beautiful. We're looking at a big blown up yeah. picture of, uh, I'm not sure what character that is, but she's in like a fully paneled library room. Is that a real location? What's the story it with is. that? It is. Yeah. So we shot in this amazing mansion and that's Rebecca Romaine's character. The room looked just like that. We did very little. We brought in some stuff like the skulls and the jars but the room looked just like that that's, like that's beautiful the homeowner's desk we used as much as we could we brought wow. in you know some flourishes and touches to the room but yeah who, who lived there what's the story with that i believe when we were scouting locations the producers saw this house and basically they found out that the owner's son loved horror movies and then they heard it was a horror movie that wanted to shoot there they're like oh yeah you can use our house like no problem and we're like that's it like it wasn't free obviously but the fact that they were so open to it we would never be able to afford a house like this in la never and i think the person who owned it was a, a dentist or something <laughs> something like that <laughs> but owned uh, a sports team too i think and the house was huge there was a water park in the backyard oh like, a full-on water park what? like legit water park what kind of dentistry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredible all the houses we shot at were these beautiful dallas homes that people just like let us shoot in and obviously not a lot of things are shooting in dallas so obviously in la everyone's like nope or ask for millions and millions of dollars (laughs) but i don't think we could have made this movie in la with the production value that we got there the movie's batshit crazy like i can't wait for everyone to see it it's real kooky so we have three festivals coming up a couple more are going to be announced you will get to see it this year it's crazy and also like rebecca had never done gore before like obviously she's done special effects stuff because of the the x-men movies but she had never worked with gore and so i got to be the one to show her the way of practical effects and gore effects and is she a horror film she is i was in dallas prepping the movie when she read the script and loved it and was skyping with me and was talking about how much she loves horror and loves Fangoria. She's a big Fangoria fan. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So that's like the reason she did the movie. Because I was like, how has she not been in a horror movie? And I don't know if it's just I hadn't been asked or wasn't the right project. And then watching her and Jerry work together, too, since their husband and wife in real life was pretty magical. Like, and he's a gem. And I just literally said, can we talk about Wes Craven and Scream 2 with you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, what do you want to know? Like, I'll tell you whatever you want. And what did he say? Yeah. Oh, he told me the most, like, how chill Wes was and what a wonderful person he was. It just wow. made me, I, I think Wes is like one of the greatest horror filmmakers of, of all time. So I miss his existence in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I got very lucky with this cast of people. So. Who did the effects? Tate Steinzik. So oh. he won Face Off yeah. um, a couple oh. of years ago. Yeah. And he and his team, and they had to do like crazy stuff, stuff that you haven't seen. Like there's effects in this movie that you haven't seen in American horror cinema before. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. And Grady used a lot of, so the writer Grady Hendrix, I'm a huge fan of all of his books. I did this movie because I love My Best Friend's Exorcism and Horror Store and Paperbacks from Hell. And he was influenced by a lot of Asian horror cinema. So there's stuff, influences all over the place in this script. Like Mickey? Yeah, 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 oh, exactly. Shit. And, oh, shit. <laughs> but oh, even, it, and quite on, and like there's tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. I knew of some of the, his references, but he had me watch a couple things. But I was like, we haven't, American audiences like haven't seen a lot of this stuff. And so Tate had to be the one to come up with these like... <laughs> really batshit crazy things and they looked amazing i'm really excited for people people are gonna be like what the fuck is that (laughs) this literally sounds like the best movie ever (laughs) take my money (laughs) but no and horror comedies are really tricky and and you know we really tried to nail the tone and wolfman of mars did the score and I'm a huge fan of his work. So I was like, to me, I called this my like heavy metal movie is how I sort of described it. And I was like, I need someone who can do, I didn't want it to be a straight synth score, but I need to find something that's, that's a meld between that and rock. And Wolfman of Mars, his sound is like Goblin 70s giallo wow. rock mixed nice. with John Carpenter synth. Oh, Holy shit. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's <laughs> fucking amazing. He's on Bandcamp. I highly recommend everyone check him out. You know, I said I'd love for him to score. I'd love to, uh, we had talked about Joe Bashara. I'm like, well, <laughs> Joe Bashara is doing like every atomic monster in Blumhouse own him. <laughs> right. So I said, I, I, I'd love to have Wolfman of Mars if we can see if we can get him. And he said, yes. And same thing with Umberto, who did All That We Destroy. I was a huge fan of his work and... He also said yes, and we're hoping to get soundtracks released for oh, both nice. movies. Oh, we'll cool. see. 
because music just plays such an important part of horror and comedy too but guys it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) do you think your comedy background kind of your comedy experience also mesh with the horror because i feel like yeah this is of course you find this out later but i remember talking to the producers for satanic panic and they said one of the reasons we picked you is like you were one of the only people that had come from a you were the only person who came from a horror and a comedy background nobody else that they were interviewing had come from both worlds and also they got to see all that we destroy so they were like okay competent filmmaker but also comes from both these worlds and knows both of them and they knew i loved grady and i loved everything that they were doing and yeah so it definitely got me the job (laughs) that's awesome what do you think the connection between horror and comedy is though is there something i feel like there's a lot there's something there but i don't know is it timing it's timing because if you can time a laugh you can time a scare yeah and i think both of them have an emotional release to it whether it's laughing also you 90 percent of the time when i go see a horror movie and everyone jumps or yells they laugh immediately after yeah So it's sort of like calming yourself down (laughs) from that. Yeah, I think they're totally hand in hand. I think putting them together is like the complicated part. (laughs) Do you have any advice? I mean, you've had this great career so far and keep on going. And is there any advice you have to... This is the... Anytime I'm asked this question, I always give the same answer because it's what sort of my mantra, which is comes from Pat Oswalt, which is it's chaos, be kind, because I found I get more done being kind to people than yelling or being angry or I mean sometimes like I've had people say oh you're being a little bossy and I was like "Uh, I'm not bossy I'm the boss so (laughs) 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 but at the end of the day I think kindness is so important especially in this industry I always try to help out alumni that are you know I've just graduated from my alma mater and help them out and because we're all kind of in this together but supporting fellow filmmakers supporting the horror community i think are really important but above all be nice to each other especially in like the crazy climate we're in right now just in america i think that's one of the most important things so be kind and stay scared thank you so much thanks for having me great That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 51. Special thanks to our guest, Chelsea Stardust. Follow her on Instagram, at Chelsea Stardust, on Twitter, at Stardust Chelsea. If you're listening to this at time of release, check out her film, All That We Destroy, on Hulu Now, and her upcoming movie, Satanic Panic, out September 6th in theaters, VOD, and digital HD. Till next time, this is the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Bye.